This is a Broad Pods production. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. Broad Radio. Here for more. Good morning and welcome to Broad Radio. It's so lovely to see you this Tuesday morning. I'm Jo Stanley and my co-host today is the delightful Shelley Ware. Shelley, it's so lovely to have you on Broad Radio today. Dr. Karen Williams, psychiatrist specialising in treating PTSD, is going to be joining us today. She is the founder of Doctors Against Violence Against Women, and she's campaigning for Australia's first women's trauma recovery centre. That is going to be a really critical conversation. And to finish off the show, a glorious conversation with Mandy Hose and Kate Jones, who are hosts and creators of Two Ps in a podcast. It is a beautiful community of support for parents of kids with disabilities and additional needs, and they are the most delightful pair. We can't wait for them to join us later in the show. So a little bit of housekeeping at the top of the show. If you're watching on YouTube, it would be really awesome if you could like and subscribe. If you're watching on Facebook, it'd be lovely if you could follow us or like us. I don't actually know the difference between like and follow, Shelley. I'm I'm too much of a Gen Xer, but maybe just do both. Do both on Facebook. Absolutely. (laughs) That's right. We'd love it if you would comment or share your thoughts as you're watching today. Even pop a question into Facebook if you uh, have one for us uh, when we're speaking with Dr. Worsley or any of our guests, really. And, of course, you can always catch up on the show with our podcast, Broad Radio On The Go, all of our episodes there, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, Shelley, I want to say it is such a blessing to have you on the show because, of course, you are super busy. You're not always available to us so we're really lucky to have you we tend to snaffle you during the school holidays because you also work in the education system at a school um, having a very important role there supporting aboriginal boys at your school Um, but you've just done an amazing thing for NAIDOC can you share what you've done for SBS Learn yeah so next week is NAIDOC week and then I've spent probably a few months prior creating a resource that is for teachers so that they I can help them embed Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history and culture into their classrooms throughout the year. But it's also a great resource to help them through NAIDOC, which unfortunately falls in the school holidays, mm. but it's great to use all throughout the year. So I spent a lot of time researching and resourcing some information and books that are fantastic to use in the classroom. So here's the website so you can get have a look at it and there's also the ability to actually email SBS Learn and get a hard copy which 
I have to say, it's pretty special. They did a wonderful job of making my work sparkle. So, yeah, I don't think you need to be a teacher or in the education system to download that. I reckon that is a super useful resource to have conversations with our kids, but also, let's face it, with each other. The more we talk about this yep. kind of thing, particularly going into NAIDOT Week, and the more educated we can be, the better, hey? For sure. And NAIDOT Week is about celebrating the beauty within our culture. So that's what's really wonderful. You know, we, it's a really special time for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, and we want you to be a part of that. So please do download the resource and have a look and share it with your children at home too during NAIDOC Week. Awesome. Well, and as I say, I'm going to say again, Shelley, it's just so lovely to have you. I love school holidays because we get you. We, we, <laughs> so do I, Jenny. <laughs> oh, well, there's lots of reasons why we love school holidays, but one I, of them is that yeah. I get to have you on broad radio. So welcome. Yeah, I love being so, so um, another way you can be involved in our conversation with Broad Radio is our More To Say poll. Uh, we run this every week. It's one question. And when you enter, you go into the running to win a gorgeous little prize. At the moment, we are offering a $100 voucher to Charlie's Fine Food Company for, oh, it's like a choose your own adventure of beautiful biscuits, basically. Um, so when you enter, you go into the running for that. And next week we have on the show, um, our guest is a national Natalie, oh my God, Natalie Angel, who of course is from the amazing Instagram account, Let Me Try Before You Buy. She's awesome. She tries on clothes so that we know what's going to fit us basically. Because Shelly, I don't know what you're like as an internet shopper, but I am appalling. I'm terrible. Absolutely terrible. I have to take everything back that I buy there. I don't think I've had success once. No, but I don't think it's our fault. I think fashion is not our friend, right? So, so this week, our one question poll is very simple. When it comes to online shopping, where do you sit? Make sure you get along to broadradio.com.au. Enter that and you go into the running for that beautiful $100 voucher for yum, Charlie's Fine Food Company Biscuits. Now, I bring this up because our last week's question was all about menopause. Shelley, I'm going to give you the question. This was the multiple choice, okay? How much do you know, basically? I found the right way and I'm managing my symptoms. Mm. Glass of wine and a laugh with the girls is the best treatment. Mm. I've tried everything and I'm still struggling to deal or I'm totally in the dark. Where do I even start? Where would you sit there? I would say glass of wine and a bit of a laugh with girlfriends because <laughs> I haven't actually... <laughs> I actually haven't started, but I did get a touch of menopause during IVF where they paused my body for um, the IVF situation where they actually put you in menopause. I, well, I, I'm not really looking forward to it, but I'm, I think I'm a few years off it and I am probably in the dark a bit too. Yeah, I, you know what? I've never actually said this before. I went through menopause when I was 40, right? And I've always found that really, I don't know, embarrassing. I found no. it kind of, um, I'm not ashamed, but I felt just like a weird person. Like, and you know, do you lose your currency as a, as a woman when you go through that? Like there's so much stigma around it, okay? But I knew nothing mm. about it and I didn't know that's what was happening because I also was going through IVF at the same time. So it's all a big schmozzle and no one really knows what's going on and no one tells you. And then you ask doctors and they don't really give you much information. So meanwhile, hey, so Shelley, I wanted to raise something. I don't know if you caught the women's... Uh, state of Origin on Friday night, the NRLW State of Origin Friday night. It was Queensland, of course, versus New South Wales. Did you see any of that? I had a little snippet of things. I didn't watch the whole thing on Friday night, but I certainly saw the feedback on Twitter. Um, yeah, it wasn't something that I tuned into. I was a little bit busy with something else, but I certainly know what happened. 
It was fantastic. People loved it. Well, you and I are AFLW people, full disclosure. That's because we grew up, you know, you know, sort of in those sorts of states. And uh, But huge respect for the women that play NRL. And the, it was a big momentous game on Friday night because everybody involved were women. So it had two female coaches. It had a female referee. It had a female touch judge as well. Two female judge t- touch judges. It was an extraordinary moment, right? And people... People just absolutely loved the game because those women go hard. They do go hard. And what people loved about it was that it was all women, like you said. The media was all women and they wanted to see more of that. But one of the questions that we were talking about off air before was people are saying, let's do that, but then let's let's get women to do that for free. You know, look, and that's not right. Yeah, no, people were really loving it so much that they were saying, well, um, why do we only have one game? Because when it's the men's state of origin, it's a series of three games. And so people were loving it so much that they're going, oh, well, why can't we have three games for the women? And as you say, we've got to pay them properly, Shelley, because the response was from a lot of you know, former NRLW players and, and current players and, and media who were saying, yeah, well, that's all great. But um, these are women who are also juggling being mothers and they're juggling full-time jobs or full-time study. And they can't necessarily just take the time off to, to train. Because the other thing is, and we've found this with AFLW too, Shelley, that the expectation is that the standard of the game is as professional as possible. So that takes time. It takes time and we should pay accordingly. And that's not what's happening. So we're essentially asking women to work for free in a space where we're watching men get hundreds of thousands of dollars for doing exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then we want more. People were reacting and saying, we want more, we want more. So people need to listen to that. And I hope hope that message got through because they deserve to be paid as full-time professional athletes. We can't keep asking women to say to their bosses, hang on, I just need to do three more games and it might take six weeks, but I'll come back to work after that. It's just not how the real world works, Jo. <laughs> You're so right. And mm. I think too, what women often do is we just absorb and absorb and absorb. The busier we are, the more roles we're juggling because we want to do everything. We don't want to limit our own potential. We have this sort of attitude that we can have it all, but you really can't do it all. But Women don't put their hands up and say, actually, it's too much. We just absorb and absorb and end up not actually being supported or, as you say, paid in the right way. Yeah, no, I can vouch for that in my own life. You mm. say yes too many, too many times. But yes. I think what we can change is the word no. Mm. You know, no, we can't do that unless you actually come to the party with whatever the money is, the time-wise, mm. and a change in my life that will allow that to happen. So yeah. I think we need to say no more often. I agree. Now, who are we going to go to? We're going to try one more time. Karen, we're going to try Karen? Yes, we're going to, Karen, we're going to try to bring you on screen now and see how we go. Say hello to us there, Karen. Hello. Oh, yay! (laughs) It's the miracle of sound. I'm so happy. (laughs) Oh, my God. This is the best news ever. Okay, so I'm going to introduce you properly, Karen. Um, Shelley, we... Karen and I have been communicating over Twitter. I actually found Karen 
on Twitter because I like to follow people who are experts in their field and actually can broaden my knowledge, right? Um, and this woman, well, Karen is, uh, she's really broadened my understanding of victim survivors of domestic violence. She's a psychiatrist and she is also a specialist in trauma and PTSD. And she's the founder of um, Doctors Against Violence Against Women. And I know that you're doing incredible work, Karen. So it's lovely to welcome Dr. Thank Karen you. Williams. It's so lovely to have you. Now, Karen, there are so many layers to, um, to domestic violence and family violence and violence against women and their children. Um, of course, we start with hoping for prevention. So there's a lot of understanding around the cause that we need to learn. Um, there's, of course, critical work in crisis response. But then there's the layer, which is recovery which is where you step in. And I know that you as a psychiatrist, you're at the other end where you are, um, hopefully, you know, you're working with women who are victim survivors. Can, can you explain to us as a psychiatrist, what is the impact of abusive relationships on victim survivors? How does it harm us as people? Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you, you know, we have to ask this question, isn't it? Because um, we would assume that it's a broad understanding by now of what happens to people who are experiencing levels of violence that we know women are experiencing in their home. And yet there isn't really a clear understanding of that yet, which is really disappointing. And I think, you know, you think I'm a, I'm a psychiatrist. Why, why am I seeing this stuff all the time? And it's not because people are sending women to me saying this person's experienced domestic violence and as symptoms as a consequence of that actually what happens is they're sent to me with the um, diagnosis of things like um, depression or borderline personality disorder bipolar disorder substance use that kind of thing so they're not actually sent with the actual problem but they're sent to me with all these other mental health conditions so what we know is uh, about one-sixth of Australian women will experience domestic violence. That's a huge amount of women. There's 12, about 12 million women in Australia. And if a sixth of them have experienced domestic violence, that's about 2 million women. And what we have learned uh, from the research is that about 50% um, about of those women, so about a million women, will be at some point diagnosed with a mental illness and that will come after the relationship has started. So either during the relationship or after the relationship has started, not before, which kind of flies in the face of a lot of people who, who think it's, you know, it's crazy women that are in these relationships and there's something wrong with them and that's why they chose men like that or they stayed with men like that, right? You would have heard that kind of trope before. But actually, the mental illnesses that you do see would come after those violent relationships. So I really want to make it clear that we still don't have a nice avenue for GPs or anybody to say, hey, listen, if you've, you've experienced domestic violence, you probably need to go speak to someone who's expert in that and can give you some help around that because we're not seeing it. We don't recognise that women are traumatised by those relationships at all. We don't see it at all. Um, I think there are a couple of odd spots around, you know, where there'd be a few people here and there that do recognise it. But um, we, people like myself who end up seeing it and, and working in that field, we're overwhelmed with work really, really quickly. Uh, 
it's not consistent, so it's not fair. It's not okay. It's not okay to go to one doctor who'll go, oh, yeah, you must be experiencing PTSD, but then go to another doctor who has no idea and says, oh, you've got depression, you need an antidepressant for that, and not actually treat the core problem that's going on. So there's no real consistent understanding. But what we do see, or like what I would see, is exactly the same kind of thing that I would see when you see anybody that's traumatised by... Um, a violent act or not even necessarily a violent act, but um, just similar to what a soldier might experience. The same symptoms, they're literally identical. They'll have, um, well, so it's, you know, maybe it would help to kind of give you a picture of what happens to the person when they're traumatized. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you're experiencing a threat in your life, if there's somebody that's hurt, trying to hurt you or hurt your family, what happens to all human beings, because we're all animals, is we need to overcome that threat somehow, right? We, um, we either fight the threat, so get physically we fight the threat, or we try to run away from it. But what happens um, in domestic violence situations and, and also in war is that you actually can't do either of those things. You can't um, really get rid of that threat, can you? You're sort of stuck living with it day in and day out. And that's the problem is that when you are living day in and day out with somebody that's threatening your very existence or threatening your children, when you're on that constant alert, it means that your normal ability to turn off your um, threat response and turn it on starts to to falter because it's on all the time. It's normal for me to say walk down the street if, if it's a dark night and I'm all by myself and I see a dark shadow. It would be normal for me to start, get, you know, having heart palpitations, breathing up, getting anxious, getting scared, right? But then as soon as I'm safe inside of my home, I should start to calm down. It's normal for me to have it turn on and turn off. But if you're living with a perpetrator, then when do you turn off? You actually never get that experience of turning off and turning on. So what happens is you're spending years living in that really hyper aroused state, that years of feeling like something is about to happen and that's what it's like living with a perpetrator because they're so unpredictable one minute they'll be really lovely and warm and nice and affectionate and then the next minute you know they're angry and raging and taking it out on you so you don't ever want to really let your guard down if you're with somebody like that Um, so you're just on all the time so even after you've left a relationship like that you will be in a similar in a similar way always switched on so always anxious always waiting for things to go wrong um what happens in these sort of relationships is you're always trying to predict what your abuser is going to do what's going to make them angry right so you want to know everything about that person so you get into their head and you try to understand what what it is that makes them mad so people who have been abused, they'll do that with everyone in their life. They're always sort of thinking, oh, you know, anyone that talks to them in a funny way or in a, in a different way, they'll say, oh, that person doesn't like me. That person's angry at me. They're always feeling like people are mad at them or about to get mad at them and preempting that by just giving a, a hell of a lot. So they're very generous people that are always trying to keep everybody around them calm. They can't actually just relax and live their life for themselves, but they're very much about trying to look after other people. 
Um, they don't really even know what they like. So a lot of women that are in those um, have come out of relationships like that can't tell you. They don't know what what they like in their life or what makes them feel joyful. It's really hard to, when you ask the question, "What do you What do you like doing?" They they don't know because they spent so long spending doing what their partner wants so that their partner stays happy and doesn't hurt them that they actually haven't got an idea of the things that they like themselves. For example, if their partner is in a better mood when they eat Chinese takeout, right? I'm making it very simple, but let's just say it was something like that. Then when you ask her, what do you want for dinner? She's going to say oh, Chinese takeout, not because she likes the flavor, but because she knows that when he has it, he's in a better mood and he's not going to hurt her when he's in a better mood. So he, she sort of lives her entire existence of deal, making sure that everyone around her is is happy and it's exhausting they are exhausted people they don't sleep a lot of the time they're up all night because who wants to sleep if there's a threatening person in your vicinity I mean, you're sleeping in the, under the same roof as a perpetrator so they don't sleep in their relationships and they don't sleep after the relationship so they'll have problems with sleep they'll have problems with enjoyment they'll have problems identifying themselves who they are what they like like i said they feel guilty about everything they're the people that will say oh i'm sorry for what you know mm -hmm. they, they won't have done anything wrong but they're always that sense of guilt they'll take the blame for everything they have such low self-esteem um when people treat them badly, then they don't even recognize it because they often see it as that's what they deserve and that's what's kind of normal. And somebody does something bad to them. So, well, if I hadn't done this particular behavior, then that wouldn't have happened. So it's that constant uh, self-loathing and shame that they experience. And so when they go to the doctor and say, you know, I'm crazy, I, don't, I can't sleep, I'm depressed, I, um, a lot of the doctors won't ask them what happened to make you feel that way, but will say, oh, if you're not sleeping properly, or you're not eating properly, okay, um, here's, an, here's an antidepressant, try that. Um, or, or, or go for a run, you know, that kind of thing. So it's that absolute invisibility that we have to the fact that there are huge amounts of women out there who are suffering from the traumatic impacts of things like domestic violence, but also things like sexual abuse. Uh, we have a, there's so much sexual sexual abuse, so much child abuse. There's millions of people in this country that are traumatized and are invisible in our health system. So, Dr. Karen, I'm hearing two things in there. I'm hearing from you that we actually need to train our doctors in a way that they are receiving the information and hearing the information and listening to their patients and being able to identify the. So I feel like there needs to be more work with our doctors in that area, is what I'm hearing from you. And also, when women are carrying this kind of trauma, like what is available for them as treatment? I want to also you know, be really clear that it's not any one group of people that has to be responsible for this because it's not just the doctors either. Remembering that the we are paid in a in a rebate system, right? So you get an, an amount of money paid back to you from the government if you want to bulk bill a person. So you would remember most of these women won't be able to afford, you know, to pay full costs. So you, you tend to rely on bulk billing. GPs have very minimal time to spend with patients in order to make ends meet, actually. They don't get rebated anywhere near enough. And they'll have a huge waiting room full of people 
in, they've got say six minutes to 15 minutes with each person. You can't just say, I want them to be better at asking about it. You actually have to create an infrastructure too where they've got the time to do that because it, it's not actually helpful or safe even to open up wounds like that with a person in a, in a GP setting and then go actually run out of time. You've, you know, you've got mm. your, your six minutes is up or your 10 minutes is up. But so it's not enough just to train them. It's also not enough to say, I'm going to train you up and I want you to identify PTSD. I want you to identify domestic violence or sexual abuse, but I'm not going to give you any services to refer these women to. So that brings me to that second part of the question is, you said, where do you send these women? If you, if you were a GP and you did identify that person was traumatized in some way, where would you send them? And I'll put the question back to you. Where do you think you would send them? Where where would I, um, well, where would a GP send a person who they say, okay, this person's been really abused. They are very traumatized. They're suffering a lot. They're suicidal. What do you think, where would you think they should go? Well, I guess before I spoke with you, Karen, I would have assumed that there was somewhere similar to if I was someone who'd been in the defence force, if I was someone who'd been in the police force, I would assume that there was some kind of service that a GP could refer me to. But I know, having spoken to you, that that is not the case. Yeah, so if you were suicidal, if you just wanted to die because of what had happened, you weren't able to feel any joy, you felt like constantly your life, you were on edge, and you, you suicidality is a huge symptom that they'll have, and self-harming. The options are to go to the public health hospital where you go into you know the public hospital and you speak to a doctor and they ask you are you suicidal and you say yes and then you get put on the acute psychiatric unit where you are in a locked ward you will be with men as well as women a lot of the men will be disturbed as will some of the women there'll be lots of noise sometimes and screaming and some sometimes aggression um, and there will be no one that will really address your trauma at all. There's no sort of set PTSD program within the public health system at all. There isn't any such place where you could send a person who had PTSD and get comprehensive care and guarantee that the person is going to get a psychologist that really understands trauma or a doctor that understands trauma or would even identify how to treat PTSD properly. So there isn't such a place. That is the answer, that there isn't any place in Australia where you could go, I'm going to send you there. And, and also, I mean, I, you, there are some places where you could get care if you had private health insurance, you had money, you may be able to get care in that setting, but not the average woman who has experienced family violence or sexual violence and doesn't have access to money so, Dr. Karen, you've actually been lobbying for a trauma centre for women. Tell us about what you've been doing in this space to answer, to basically solve the problem about what you've just been telling us about. So I ideally would like to see every woman in Australia be able to access the same kind of care that any veteran would have, any first responder, any police officer. I would like to see them have a place that's safe for them where they can have trauma-focused therapy every woman that because there isn't such a place yet where they can have all of that um, i've joined 
sort of forces with a wonderful group of women who are who are from the uh, women's Illawarra Women's Health Centre down when, near where I practice, and we've um, we've got a pilot program that we've designed where we have a one-stop shop for women to go to will be called the women's trauma recovery center where women who have experienced ptsd and i'm sorry domestic violence or sexual violence at any point in their life it doesn't have to be a crisis thing it doesn't have to be in the middle of them uh, experiencing violence or it doesn't have to be a month later or one year later it can be 10 years or 20 years later where you can go and receive the treatment that you you deserve and need for PTSD that might arise as a consequence of of violence. And it would be a, a place that's only for women because most of the women who I've worked with or my patients are quite traumatised by being in the vicinity of men and they are, are actually more um, distressed by that. So it would be a, a gender-specific I want to acknowledge, actually, uh, Karen, we've had some comments on Facebook. Uh, one, uh, one of our followers has said that she was put on antidepressants during her traumatic relationship and she stayed on them for 28 years. And she's only just weaned off them last year and now has been told her brain has trauma from taking antidepressants for so long, but she was given no option except to take medication, which is just the, that systemic misunderstanding of what she was going through um and so i mm -hmm. guess hopefully karen this kind of conversation if we're having it more and more uh there'll be a, a greater understanding that of course there are millions of women that we're working with every day that we're standing next to at school pickup every day um, mm -hmm. who are carrying considerable symptoms that we we need to understand better yeah, and listen, I mean, again, going back to it shouldn't just be one group of people like doctors that need mm. to improve their understanding, right? Because women that are leaving these violent relationships, they will almost always have children. And a lot of those women are going to have to go through the family law court to try and get orders around the safety of their children. So we have this funny little world that says, you know, women, if you're in these violent relationships, you should leave, right? We tell them you've got to get out of there. <clears throat> but when they try to actually leave, we go, actually, no, you can't do that um, unless you're going to make sure you keep seeing your perpetrator and you keep allowing your children to see the person that has been assaulting you, right? That's what we say to mm. them. You, you have to facilitate those relationships. And so women are forced into the family law court and in that family law court, if they've got any kind of mental health issues, that will be used against her because he's very likely to throw in her face and, in, to, and put forward to the court that she's crazy. It's yeah. what they do all the time. We see it all of the time. So if you've gone to a doctor and they've given you a, the wrong diagnosis and said that you're depressed, or even if you are saying, I am depressed, I am anxious, I'm scared, and rightfully you should be if you're living with an abusive person. But if you have that history, then that's gonna get used against you in the family law court. And they will say, well, is she really a good mum? And mm -hmm. maybe she would be better with him, who's very stable and doesn't have, there's no just overt displays of mental illness in his life. So they would give, again, that a weight to that mental condition as if it were going to make her parenting bad in some sort of way. So if we don't have the court systems and the police system understand what this looks like as well, 
then that's not it then again you're gonna we're gonna keep letting women down aren't we because mm. that that is what we see I, I see it all the time where women are losing custody of their children because of the fact that they've got histories of maybe substance use or um, you know any of the things that the person might use to to manage being traumatized so if we don't allow women to leave these relationships easily right we don't have places for them to go we don't have safe accommodation we don't have um, we don't even often let them have ADOs because we say, well, you know, he's saying he didn't do it and you're saying, so it's your, his word against your word and we don't have treatment for you, um, but if you do get treatment, we're going to use that against you. So when a woman has tried to get out of those relationships and has been un unsuccessful or if she hasn't even tried because she knows that she's not going to get anywhere because she doesn't have evidence and that happens all the time, then child protection can step in and say, well, you haven't really done enough to protect your family and we're going to take your children off you mm. as well so, because they don't understand PTSD. They don't understand coercive control. They don't understand how, how the court systems do not protect women and they will then traumatise a woman further by saying, if we keep getting reports of police turning up at your place, then we're going to take your kids off you. So then women go, I don't want to call the police because if I call them, then that will get reported to child protection and then I'll get my children taken off me again. So it, it, it's more than a double bind. It's the whole whole society is, is you know, tying the hands and feet of women who are trying to escape these relationships. Well, Karen, I want to reflect what another one of our followers on Facebook today has said, Karen, you're on point and wise. Thank you for the work you are doing. This is such a complicated conversation and mm. there is no happy ending at this stage. There is absolutely no way to wrap this up no. in a way that feels positive or optimistic in a lot of ways, other than to say that now that we are alert to the fact that you're working towards a trauma centre for women, um, we stand behind you and with you and we'll try and keep this conversation going as often as, and as loudly as possible because it's absolutely critical so Karen thank you so yeah, much yeah that's for the thing time. is can I just say one yes, more thing yes, about that can. because yeah. with with women that have been traumatized they don't feel deserving at all mm -hmm. you have all of these millions of women who think it's all their fault and they shouldn't have been in relationships like that to begin with they're the ones that have stayed in them for too long they're they're depressed, they're anxious, they hate themselves. That's really what I'm seeing all the time. So they're not going to be standing up and screaming out for this stuff. They're not going to say, hey, why, why isn't there PTSD care for me? Why isn't there care for my child that's experienced all this violence in their life and witnessed me getting bashed? Why isn't there more available? So it is up to the rest of us that can stand up to stand up and to rally those women to be able to raise their voices and say, this is what happened to me in my home and, you know, why, you know, why haven't I been able to access these things? Because we are very powerful. We are 50% of the population. We are 50% of the voting population. So if we can raise the voices of everyone around us as well, mm -hmm. it's not, not just you guys, but that we start demanding that from our government. Absolutely. Thanks. We are powerful. Thank you so much, Dr. Karen Williams. Thank no you. worries. We'll have more broad radio. We'll see you later. See you, darling. We'll have more broad radio Bye. after this. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
you really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Broad Radio. Talking inspo we love, info we need, and sharing more of us. Watch and listen live every Tuesday, 9am, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time at broadradio.com.au or find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn at Broad Radio Oz. Talk to us live. Call on 1300 8 Broad. Catch up on demand anytime, anywhere, every time, everywhere. On the train, we'll be here. 2am existential crisis. We've got you covered. Broad Radio, here for more. All right, Shelley, are you there? It's been a very emotional morning having that conversation with Dr Karen Williams. It sure is. And I see the impact of children being in the education system for 25 years. She's right. There is nothing really there for children. And it's not just doctors. It's also teachers. It's also educators. Like we need to understand the side effects or the trauma that they're facing as well because we need to be able to support them I think better than what we actually are. Yeah Um, we will continue that conversation and do whatever we can to support Karen in her work. Um, We're going to uh, we're going to go to some outright superstars who I hope we will be able to hear from they are actually like hello can we hear us? Kate yes we can Look, let me give you a proper introduction then, okay? Um, Before you, you see Mandy Hose and Kate Jones, who are the hosts and creators of Two Peas in a podcast. It's about parenting with kids with disabilities and additional needs. They get 30,000 downloads a week. They've got a book deal. They were nominated for Australian of the Year this year. They are flat-out legends, these women, and we're so thrilled to have them on Broad Radio. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having us. Oh, congratulations on your enormous success with two Ps in a podcast. I feel like today we're talking about women who are often invisible and your your community is about parents who probably feel invisible. Would that be true? We were nodding away listening to Dr. Karen about so many similarities in our tribe, for sure. What a powerful woman. That was awesome to listen to her. Can you tell me then, you, I'm sure, did not imagine the success that you would have when you started Two Peas in a Podcast. What was your your first initial goal for your podcast? Uh, well, we had a dream of 30 listeners because we thought that was a pretty good little community to have around us. <laughs> 30. So initially we thought that'll be all our friends and our family and people that feel sorry for us. And then, <laughs> um, yeah, my goodness. <laughs> 
I absolutely love your acknowledgement to country at the start of your podcast and the language warning, Joe. I think we need to take the language warning and go with it. It's absolutely special. <laughs> now, you're very honest in your podcast. Is that difficult to do? Um, are there moments where you find that more difficult than others to be really honest about what's going on in your life and your child's life? Yes. Yeah. And it's a really fine line because we are really, really mindful that our children um, are minors and therefore we can't share some of their stories. Do you know what I mean? Like it's really our stories as parents that we're sharing. Yeah. And so that's why we've given them pseudonyms and we've done everything we can to protect their privacy. But we also had this really strong feeling that there's so many women feeling very lonely that are diverse mothering and we just wanted to say, you know, we've been lonely too, so come and join our tribe. And we know that when women are supported, we will do a better job of parenting. And when we're doing different parenting, we need to do a better job. So we just realised we're, we're going to lead it. Is there a story that you remember sharing that was particularly powerful, that you know got a huge response and for yourself felt quite important to share? Um, we've had two or three topics that have really gone through the roof. We had a topic called Just a Healthy Baby, which really um, resonated with people. School awards and attendance really, really, really resonated with people. Um, and I think when we talked about the NICU and having premature babies, because that is a story untold. Mm. Can you share some of that? Sure. Well, I think we were just talking about, you know, what it was like to leave, because we both had a set of twins. So what was it like to leave our twins? Um, my Pregnancy was relatively smooth, but then to have my girls um, at 31 weeks and then what was that like to leave them and go home that night, um, you know, that sort of stuff. Kate talked about a tricky pregnancy. Mm. And I think alongside the tricky pregnancy was the just a healthy baby. So it's something that we all say when someone says, do you want a boy or a girl? We're also, you know, politically correct and cool now that we say, I just want a healthy baby. And so what that means to probably one in 10 parents, I don't want a baby like yours. Yeah. I don't want a diverse family. I don't want a family whose children are not perfect, not that there's any such thing. Um, and we want to break that stigma because our families are unbelievable and our children have brought so much into our lives and we wouldn't change anything. Yeah. So the response has been extraordinary. Um, your passionate community of peas, as you call them, which I absolutely love mm -hmm. that you do that. So what, what does connect you all and what do you get from your listeners and what, what do you feel like you give to your listeners? Well, I think in the beginning it was just we were getting emails, we were getting messages from so many people just saying, I'm lonely, I can't believe you're talking about this stuff. Um, and so that in turn then gave us great confidence as well. And we were like, right, okay, we... I don't know what we're doing is working. Yeah. And I think we didn't realise that the way to cure loneliness is to talk about loneliness with other people who are lonely. And once you realise <laughs> you're all lonely, you're like, oh, oh sure, we're all we're together. Yeah. <laughs> so we started we got Facebook and Instagram, but then we started a Facebook um, private group that has been tremendous. Unbelievable. So it's a very kind pocket of the internet. Very. And so um, people are in there. We've got professionals in there. We've got parents. We've got adults with disabilities. We've got the whole P tribe. And that's what we really love is that it's, it's not just, oh, you can only come in because of this and this. No, um, everyone's welcome. 
Something that you said really resonated with me because uh, my daughter was born with lots and lots of challenges and I remember being in a mother's group meeting very early on and feeling completely alienated because my experience was so different from all of them. Um, yep. And I think your way of, of really just explaining to the world that there is no, there's no normal actual version of motherhood and we're sold no. kind of a lie about this ideal, yeah. don't you think? Mm. Oh, 100% we're sold a lie. I mean, women are sold lies all the time. <laughs> yes. But this is a really, really big one because you can, the loneliest I think I've felt has been like sitting at a table with a bunch of amazing school mums who I really, really love and who love me and listening to their conversations and thinking, I, I don't have anything the same as them, nothing. Um, but they're not trying to exclude me. But it just happens because when you're sitting with a bunch of people who know nothing about neurodiversity or disability, you get accidentally excluded. Yeah. And I would be, you know, I'd be with my mother's group and I'd be rushing to Monash for, mm. you know, physio appointments. Then I'd be having, oh, MRI brain scans on the girls and there were so many things that those people weren't doing at all and that was on top of having premature births and NICU time mm. like how could mm. anyone understand mm. and that's why when we found each other and we found people in the multiple birth community with children with disabilities or additional needs we were like clinging to them it didn't matter what was going on with their kids it was just like well you understand a little bit of what I've been through so I, let's can we be friends please <laughs> yeah yeah, it's so true. And part of the problem you're talking about is that lack of diversity that we see with parenting. We see this very sanitised, perfect version of what a parent should be. Um, how would you like to see that changed? When you, everything you look at when, you, when you're pregnant is, you know, like we often laugh about what to expect. What, oh, that book, what, what to, to expect, expect when you're expecting. expecting. <laughs> We're like, oh, well, yes. you didn't quite expect this. <laughs> that woman in the chair with her massive belly and her beautiful big dress. And you're like, oh, no, no, that just is not you what to wait, expect. Lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we want to say that those stories should have more, those books should have more of the things that can be different, you know. Yeah, it's like, like a little chapter about twins. So every book I would just go, throw that out like I'm you know pregnancy books but no one's talking about even multiples or no and what no. about a chapter about cesareans because a whole lot of us have cesareans and so all the books on um you know childbirth hypnosis all that doesn't matter to us right yeah. but we're still mothers yeah. babies came out of our bodies <laughs> and what about the mothers who fostered and adopted yes. there's none of their story there's so many of them in our p-tribe yeah or the women who desperately wanted babies and couldn't have them but are the most awesome aunts and role models and friends there's no mention of them yeah. in any of the parenting books and the literature and when you go to the infant welfare nurse or the pediatrician there's just posters up of all these normal development yeah what about yeah. all the other things we love smilestones yeah so that's, that's our term thing. we use instead of milestones because oh. we don't give a shit about milestones so yeah. we call them smilestones yeah so the moment like for my daughter last year she's 15 the first time oh cry she turned the shower tap on by herself and i thought no mm. one knows about this milestone this isn't written in a book but it is now Here yeah. it is. <laughs> in our book um, that was so it's 15 is that when it happens yeah, well, well. For her. <laughs> my new book, my new book. Well, I had a I had a joyous moment with my son who was IVF and cesarean, and these are the kinds of stories like that we should be sharing. 
I got like five years extra of not having to have the sex talk because he asked me how he was conceived. And I said, in a Petri dish with a doctor. <laughs> what does that? And then he asked me how he came out. I said, it was, you know, I had to cut you out. So I got ages before he had to um, have the big talk. So there's a lot of bonuses in it. That's true. <laughs> but I think too what you're alluding to is um, the trauma that you can carry with you when you have gone through all of the different experiences that aren't the ideal. Because I, I, I remember when my, my daughter was born and you have the conversation with the doctor about this is what we do and don't know about what her future might be. And from then on, you have constant traumatic moments. Yes. How, how what advice have you got for parents, um, mothers and fathers who are kind of carrying that trauma with them as they parent? Well, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder when my twins were three. And I think, I don't know why I didn't go and get help before then. I think I was just too busy. And so I just say to everyone that I work with or that we speak to, you know, try and get some help before I did, right? And I'm just thinking about Dr. Karen and her trauma centre. I'm thinking, oh, imagine I could have gone there, mm. you know. Um, yeah, and I think it's okay to admit that you're really sitting with something really traumatic because people think that means you don't passionately love your child. That doesn't mean that, okay. Things can be hard but not bad. So life can be really, really hard. And we are just going to say our lives are trickier than some other people's lives and that we have many in our P community who have trickier lives than us. But, you know, like we saw this great analogy this week, you know, we're all bringing a plate to the party, but some of the plates are ceramic and some of them are paper with holes in them. Mm -hmm. So yes, we're all sharing a plate, but it's very different. And it's okay if you feel lonely and if you feel that you have PTSD and if you feel constant trauma when you drive past a hospital or a physiotherapist or a speech therapist, if you have to go a different way home, so you don't go past the place where you got your diagnosis. There are millions of women like doing you. Doing the same thing. I and could not drive past that hospital without having panic attacks. Yeah. Just, you're not oh, alone. No. That's actually normal. Yeah. And once you hear people talking about that, you're like, oh, oh it's not just me. This is a normal yeah. parenting experience. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, I love that you're doing this and it's because when we were parents, or when I was of a young, I still am, by the way, but of a younger <laughs> child, when you'd go to mother's group, it was always just like, I can't, I actually went twice to a pediatrician because of the things that people said about my son yes. that made me feel like there was something wrong with him. And the pediatrician yeah. basically, you know, language warning said, get out and said, why are you listening to these people? But we do that. So the work you're doing is yep. invaluable. And when you are the person in the group that does have diagnosis, then that's, I used to feel like I was going to a play group and walking into a knife that would just stab into my heart mm. when I walked into the room because I would see all the typically developing kids and I'd look at my beautiful girls and think, this, is, this life's harder for you, mm. right? But I would do it because it was better for them to have a morning of play than be home with me crying. And, that, mm. and there was days where I couldn't go, so I'm not saying we always have to push mm. through, but some days that's how it felt and I couldn't say to anybody, I actually feel like my heart is split in half right now. Mm -hmm. But anyway, who wants a cuppa? My kid's sitting on your kid, you know, yeah. or this woman's talking about all that bullshit and I'm just having to just mask, mask, mask. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, oh, and yeah. I think too, you know, 
And maybe you could offer some advice for the women who are in mother's group or at school pickup who maybe need to have more understanding of how other people mm. and families are, are kind of what they're facing on a day-to-day basis. What, what advice would you give that we could kind of be a little more, um, I, I don't know, compassionate or kind or understanding? Mm. Yeah, well, I think include people mm. because there's a lot of exclusion that happens incidentally. So if your child's at mainstream and they have additional needs or a disability, they're at curriculum support every day, they're going out to speech, they're going out to OT, they're missing out on, I don't know, the French class because they're, they're going to catch up on their English then. So they're already getting excluded from things. That's just how it works. Then the mum might have to go in and see the teacher or the father might have to go in and carry the school bags. And so you miss the coffee at the gate, you miss the chat. You miss all of that because your focus is on getting your child to school happily or your child to preschool happily or daycare happily. And so you get accidentally excluded. So if you've got a mum in your group, mum's group, kinder, school, whatever, that sort of is on the outer because her child has additional needs, she needs you more than any of your other mates in that group, right? And so you need to text her. And sometimes we're crap at replying because we've had a really bad day. But we will love you forever. And let me tell you, you will never find a more loyal friend. We are awesome friends. Yes. And we will have your back, right? But you have to just reach out. And also, please ask our kids to birthday parties. Yeah. I could count on them in one hand, the amount of parties that my beautiful boys have been to. So please, they understand they're being excluded, right? Just ask us, say, I want to have your amazing kids. How can we make this happen? It's easy. We know how to do it. We'll tell yeah, you. We'll come. We'll buy the best presents because if yep. we don't ever get invited to parties, you want to invite <laughs> us because we'll be like, here comes the best present. We'll have the invitation <laughs> on the fridge and that changes the whole family's yeah. life, right? Because that child says, I'm invited to a party because their siblings might be getting 27 party invitations yeah. and our kids don't. And so that's up to us as the adults to do that, yeah, not the is. children. And we have to role model that to our kids. It's wow. so true. It's so true. As an educator, I see that. <laughs> I miss my gloriousness. But as an educator, I see that all the time with children. And my own son, he's dyslexic. So all those things you're talking about, you know, missing out on language, being different. And I think the problem that we have in our house is he turns it into a joke. So I've actually had to say to him, I know that's your protection mechanism but I need you to stop doing that as well because what it's doing is it pushes people away from the fact that you'd still need that additional need, that help. So we have a long list of issues, but it's always a fight, isn't it? But your work, like I said, is invaluable and it does help people who are going through what they're going through to have that connection and with such humour as well. I love that you laugh all the way through it. It just makes you um, want to be a part of it as well and join in the conversation. So well done to you. These are funny. Our kids are funny. And if we don't tell their stories about how awesome they are, then no one's going to. So, and also we want, we're, we're a few years down the journey. Our kids are mid teenagers now. So, you know, we've had time to adjust and um, we're so proud of our family. So, and they're fun. Well, Mandy and Kate, I wanted to share with you a couple of comments on our social media on Facebook and YouTube today. People are saying congrats, love these women. Amazing outlook and attitude from Linda there on Facebook. So, um, yeah, we just are so grateful for your time on Broad Radio. Do check out Two Peas in a podcast. Be one of the 30,000 people a week who download (laughs) it. And when when is your book coming out? 
The 20th of July. 20th of July. So check out The Invisible Life of Us when that book is released. I'm sure that it's going to be, if, if the rest of your success is an indication, I'm sure it's going to be a bestseller. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us today on Broad Radio. It was so lovely to see and hear you. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank you for having us. Thank you, lovelies. And Shelley, I tell you what, it's hit 10 o'clock. It's been a bumpy ride, but two amazing conversations this morning. We have had two amazing conversations and I hope we get to have our other amazing conversation with Dr. Rosie. I believe we're going to do some special time with her as well another time. Absolutely. We are speaking with her right now, actually, says our amazing producer is out there on the phone trying to work out the best time that we can bring that conversation to you. So do stand by. Keep an eye on our social media for Broad Radio, Facebook and YouTube, but also keep an eye on all of our social media, myself and Shelley, and we'll let you know when that conversation with Rosie, Dr. Rosie Worsley, will be happening. Um, Shelley, gorgeous to see you as always. And uh, I hope it's not till the next school holidays when we get to have you on, but... We'll see how we go. Might have to be sick. <laughs> yeah, Just I'll write a me. note for you. Nobody will know that you're live on Facebook at the time. No, it's <laughs> Thanks so much, darling. You take care. Thank you. You too. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.